0: Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Hello, hello. This is an unscheduled podcast episode. This was not on my master spreadsheet. And my life is run by spreadsheets. I like systems. I need them because I can't trust my brain and my memory. I like to outsource things to the cloud. And then it tells me what to do. Just wait till it achieves sentience. Skynet, I'll be the first one to be uh, enslaved. Okay, so this unscheduled because I was just feeling inspired. Had a couple ideas, a couple thoughts and blogging about them. Which I normally do, I often do, I blog every day. Um, It just sounded like more work. I just wanted to talk it out. Talk it out, man. Just talk it out. So, welcome to this uh, episode that is just me, no guests this time, Uh, except for my brain. (laughs) Believe it or not, one time for school, I think it was when I was in community college and I was like 15 taking classes at community college. And you know, you had one of these papers where you had to have sources. And I actually wrote a blog post about this one time, why I hate the, uh, the sourcing process or the, um, I think that's what, what I call it citations. Anyway, you had to have a certain number of them. It was totally arbitrary. So I wrote a paper that I thought was pretty decent. And it was about I I don't remember what topic it was about. And I had a couple sources that I had read, but I needed like one more and I was like, this is so dumb. I'm just going to have to arbitrarily add some source that I didn't read at all that makes nut and just pretend like it was there to get a good, because I knew I'd get a good grade on the paper itself because I knew it was a good paper. Um, and I'd seen some of the other <laughs> papers <laughs> and I figured curve cur- gra- grading, ugh, curve grading would be employed. Anyway, and I was like so mad about it. I guess I guess this shows the roots of my rejection of the education conveyor belt from an early age. Uh, I wasn't aware how, how much it irritated me, but I was so mad at the idea that I just had to have an arbitrary number of citations, regardless of whether the content of my paper was good, the arguments compelling, etc. So instead of adding that fifth citation, that fifth reference or whatever, I put, you know, number five, my own mind. And then I had like a little screed about how using your own logic and your ability to construct an argument that has logical validity based on your observations, blah, 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 is better than any reference material you could use just to please a teacher. Uh, and I got an A on the paper, but it was like an A And there was a note next to that saying like, this won't cut it in the future. Um, so anyway, I'm sure it probably, you know, 15 year old being like reference number five, my own mind but I stand by it. So today the only guest, it's my mind. It's me and my brain. And actually I used to say that when I was a kid too. And my mom would say, what, where did you learn that? I'd say my mind told me. So me and my brain are here to join you. So first I wanted to do something that I've heard some other podcasters do. Um, and since I almost never originate anything, uh, in my life, I just borrow good ideas or ideas that I think will be good. I'm going to go ahead and copy it because I've, I've kind of liked it and I think it's kind of cool. And that is to read a few reviews of the podcast. So we've got, uh, it looks like we have nine reviews on iTunes. So if you haven't reviewed the show, go review it. I would love to get more reviews up there. And so far they're all five star ratings. Woo. So I'm just going to read two today. Let's see. Uh, number one, Timothy Miller, he was a guest on the show, so maybe it's not fair But let's go ahead and read it anyway, because Tim, I know him. He wouldn't lie. Isaac Morehouse is a wonderful talent for interviewing. Thank you, Tim. Which draws in the listeners so they feel as if they're sitting in a room listening to a great conversation. Regardless of the topic, Isaac always holds my interest. I've learned a lot about subjects I never studied, all because Isaac's unique questions and genuine interest in every guest. Great review. Uh, Obviously, I like it because it's five stars and it's, you know, praising me. Who, Who wouldn't? But, um... What I really like is that that that's a that's like a really nice confirmation of what why I set out to podcast is as I've always said from the beginning, I do it for me. I don't do it because I'm trying to figure out what people will like and get a whole bunch of downloads or whatever. I mean, if I get a bunch of downloads, I love that. Everybody does, but I do it following my own interest. I'm curious and I'm interested in things and I only want to interview guests that actually interest me and I want to ask them questions that interest me and if I don't have a genuine interest in the topic or the guest, I don't even want to be doing the episode. So I'm glad that that uh, has shined through. Um, okay, we'll read review number two. Provocative and entertaining. This is from uh, LA, Volunt- or La Voluntarist. Provocative and entertaining. Isaac knows how to make a, ge- a great show. <laughs> Isaac, great, a great. Ge- I guess I don't know how to make a great show. I keep stuttering. It's the spaghetti I had for lunch. Provocative and entertaining. Isaac knows how to make a great show that's full of variety. The episodes with TK Coleman are especially worth checking out. Thank you for the review. And actually, I those are some of my favorite episodes too. Because there are two different types of episodes. There are the episodes that are work, like hard work, but they're rewarding. Like, you, know, you, got, you kind of research the guest and you kind of spend days or even weeks reading some of their material, trying to kind of get into okay, what is, what do I really want to extract out of this? And then when you're done with the interview, you're like tired, like, whoo. okay. Uh, which by the way, I never want to schedule more than one interview in a day or even in a week if possible, because it's, you know, from all the other stuff I'm working on for practice, most of the time I can only fit in one a week, but two, it's like, it's a, it's a mentally taxing experience. So it's great, but it's tiring. The ones with TK are so fun because I don't have to pre-plan anything or schedule anything I know him so well and he knows me so well and we have so many topics we're always discussing that we can just jump on, hit record and see what happens and it's like a big party. So those are really fun for me Um, and I'm glad that uh, they are appreciated. So go check out the podcast. Give it a review on iTunes um, if you listen in that way. I would love to to see it and uh, I will read your review as well. I'm going to try to do this more often. Okay, what did I want to talk about? Why did I start recording this today? Just a few things. I was in Florida uh, a couple days ago giving a talk at the University of Central Florida. And afterwards, I was at dinner and having a discussion. And, and somebody asked me about sort of my approach to education with my own children, sort of my my advocacy of unschooling, or at least my practice of it. I, I, I mean, I guess I would call myself an advocate, but I don't I don't feel like this urge to go out there and evangelize to everyone as much as just sort of ask questions and, and get people thinking the way that... Um, People got me thinking and it was very helpful. But anyway, he said, okay, that all sounds cool, and I value freedom and autonomy and all those things. But and I get this question a lot, but what if kids don't learn things they need to learn? And I said, like what? What do they need to learn? Well, I don't know. Algebra. So why do they need to learn algebra? And he seemed stunned, like no one had ever asked him that. He was like, Well, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's good. What if you need it? And I'm like, well, if you need it, you'll learn it. <laughs> and he was like, well, what some things that you need and that are good for you, you won't learn on your own. You know, I, uh, I was made to, what did he say? He was made to do some kind of math. And even though he didn't enjoy it, he wouldn't have done it on his own, but he gained from it. Okay. That's a really common common question and common mindset and approach and one that I myself had for many years and it took a while to sort of see through it because I think it's one of those things where it's not so much a mind change it's more like you have scales on your eyes and once they fall off you see the world differently and you can never go back it's like oh my gosh how will I just I just miss this but anyway there's two responses to that okay the first one is this people are self-interested I cannot hammer on this enough rational choice theory that the tools that economists use when they're analyzing the world, human behavior, institutions, incentives are the most valuable in the world for understanding how humans actually behave. Forget if, if you had no other social disciplines, no other social studies, no, no sociology history, none of those other things. You'd still be okay. If you just had the economic way of thinking, if you just use rational choice theory, It has such explanatory power. I'm an economic imperialist when it comes to the the social sciences. I think anything besides rational choice theory is incredibly limited in its explanatory power. And the core assumption behind rational choice theory is that humans are self-interested. They will behave in a way that is is trying to achieve their own self-interest. Now, it doesn't mean that their self-interest is morally right or wrong necessarily. That's a separate question. It doesn't mean that they're correct about what they believe will bring about the outcomes they desire, but it means that at the time of choosing, they choose things that they believe in the moment will benefit them based on their own subjective preferences. Now, someone will say, oh, that's just a tautology. That's, that's there's, it has no explanatory power. But then everybody who says that's just a tautology, there's nothing about it that's powerful, will turn around and endorse all kinds of ideas and concepts that fly completely in the face of that supposed tautology. They'll they'll say things like, "Oh, well this policy will create more utility than this other policy." And it's and it's like, "Well, wait a minute. If you're forcing people to do something, it means it's not the thing that they see as in their own best self-interest. So how can you claim that the use of force will enhance their utility. When you just agreed to this supposed tautology, this supposed self-evident proposition that when people act, they choose what they believe will be in their self-interest, then you're going to tell me and and, and accept that value is subjective to each individual and you can't compare interpersonally value comparisons. Then you're going to turn around and say, oh, but we can pass a policy that forces people to do something that's really better for them based on their own definition. Well, no, it's not. They would have chosen it voluntarily if it was okay. Anyway, I mean, to get into all that economic stuff. I think I talk about that in another episode, but so the, 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 two responses to this question, what if kids don't learn things they need to learn that will be good for them? The first is that this idea that you need to understand and believe that people are self-interested. You need to, I mean, not believe it in like a religious sense, just observe it and put on that lens And don't let yourself off the hook with explanations about people are just irrational. They're going to do what's bad for them. Well, no, I mean, only they know what they value. They can change their mind. They can have bad information. They can have all kinds of things going on that, you know, there's ways that they can improve, but in the moment they're going to choose what they believe is good for them, given their beliefs, the incentives around them, what they think is possible, et cetera. Okay. Okay. So, my philosophy on everything, the reason I think government is an unnecessary evil, the reason I think schooling and authoritarian parenting and education is an unnecessary evil, it's not because I think human beings are perfect or perfectible or inherently good or any of that nonsense that would be so utopian and unrealistic. My beliefs are based on the radical assumption that people are self interested. That's it, that's all that's required for the things that I believe in to work in terms of social, educational, uh, structure, etc., People just need to be self-interested, which they are always all the time. Uh, even altruism, it's a semantics, it's a word game. You, you, you act altruistically because it makes you feel good or because you have a belief you will get some sort of heavenly reward or because you think it will make you a good person and you value being a good person. You act in your own self-interest. That's not a negative thing. That's an impossible to escape thing like gravity. Okay. So that's all that's required. So, so in this education thing, people are self-interested in a highly literate society. Like we live in today in the United States. I can't think, I can't imagine someone not learning to read. If you just don't force them at all, never try to praise or punish or reward them based on reading. Never try to force it on them. Never try to create some method to teach them to read. They will learn to read as long as they're not isolated in a closet somewhere around no other human beings for all of their life. They will observe around them the massive social and economic rewards to literacy. And they'll say, interesting, I want that. And they'll pick it up. Once they want it, once it's intrinsically motivated, it will take them hardly any time and they won't see it as painful work Yes, it can be challenging the same way beating a level in a video game is challenging and hard and maybe even frustrating at times, but no one would claim someone who's struggling to beat a level in a video game and they keep trying is suffering through drudgery and monotony. They're doing it by choice because it's fun. The challenge is where the flow state comes right. And that's re, learning to read is no different. People are incentivized to do so in our culture. They will do so. You don't need to force kids to learn to eat food or walk or talk, they will do those things on their own. And those are far more complex than learning to read, far more complex, much more challenging with much more, many more setbacks. They learn that immediately because they see the value of it. They want that. They want to be able to walk around and run and play. They want to be able to communicate. They have every incentive based purely on their self-interest. You don't have to try to force them to do what's good for them. If it's really good for them, they will figure it out. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no role for like, oh, someone's wandering into the street. You don't grab them and pull them back. But I think if you if you assess it the same way you would with any other human being and don't treat children as if they somehow are not self-interested while adults are, you know, you would do that with an adult too. If someone was wandering into the street and they didn't know any better and they're about to get hit by a car, you would stop them, right? But you wouldn't walk up to your neighbor and be like, look, whether you like it or not, you're going to sit your butt down and I'm going to teach you a class about, you know, whatever you think they need to learn. You need to learn algebra. You know, how dare you not know it? I mean, that's that's an absurd notion, right? It's no less absurd with children. They're self-interested, okay? They'll figure out what they need to know. When they get to the point where all of a sudden reading becomes valuable to them, they'll learn it. There's all kinds of great studies on this. Kids who learn to read at age four versus age 14, by the time they're 17, their reading comprehension is the same. It doesn't really matter. It matters. What matters is the, the, the focus that they put into it. John Holt has some great studies about reading, arithmetic. How long does it take to learn these things? And it's all about the focused learning time. It only takes a small number of hours. I can't remember how many, 20, 30, 40, something like that, of focused attention to learn math, reading, writing, etc. But that focused attention is the key. If someone's not focused, they have no intrinsic motivation, you could spend a 1,000 hours trying to teach them and they won't learn it. But once they're focused, they can learn it in anywhere from a few hours to a few dozen hours because it's aligned with their interests. And if you let people pursue their own interests, assuming they're not you know, damaging and violating the, the same pursuit in, of, of others, they will get what they need to get on their own terms. Okay, so to the second the second response to this. Yeah, but Isaac, I was forced to learn algebra and I'm glad I did because I learned X, Y, and Z, which are valuable to me. Okay. That is a logical fallacy of the worst kind. Based on that argument structure, we could say anything because all it looks at are the benefits of of this activity, the, 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 being forced to learn. It doesn't even assess or acknowledge the costs, the, the, the immediate psychological cost and the opportunity cost of what else could have been learned in that time with that focus, with what all the things, the cost involved. So let's, let's use this argument structure. Oh, well, I was forced to do X and I gained Y benefit. Therefore, everyone should be forced to do X. I guarantee you, if I chained you up in my garage, I was going to say basement, but I don't have a basement in South Carolina. If I chained you up in my garage for a year and forced you to listen to the entire Beatles catalog over and over and over, and once a week, write an essay about the evolving nature of the Beatles sound and to analyze their songs. And if I did this, I forced you to do this. I fed you enough food. And at gunpoint was like, keep listening to the Beatles and write about it. At the end of that year, there is no doubt you would have gained some things. There would be some things that you would have in terms of knowledge and ability to understand and assess music, uh, even just ability to endure deprivation and suffering, um, where you could say, Hey, these are a few benefit. These are a few beneficial things to my life. I am actually better at conversations in the bar because I know so much about the Beatles. Oh, I listen to music differently. Um, and I can do things that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And some of those are sometimes valuable to me. There's no doubt that's true. Does any one of you think that because we can, we can all, almost all I'm sure can agree there would be things you would gain from that, that you would not gain. If I didn't make you listen to the Beatles in my garage in shackles for a year, there are things you would gain. You could not gain otherwise. Therefore, the best thing for me to do is shackle you up in my garage, to my water heater, and force you to listen to the entire Beatles catalog over and over again and write about it. No one would claim that. That's absurd. It's just the same to say, well, I was forced to play baseball every day. And because of that, I got to play, I got a scholarship to a junior college and I got to play baseball. See, something that I now deem as good compared to nothing else is not compared to anything. The three most important questions are compared to what? or the three most important words compared to what, right? We're not comparing it to anything. We're just in the abstract. I got something that I'm just going to call good, like not measured against anything else that I could have had that might've been better. And therefore, whatever happened before good must've been necessary for it and itself must be good. So first there's sort of a the post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy. Well, this thing that I'm calling good happened. So therefore, whatever happened before it must've led to it and must itself be good. But there's also this failure to acknowledge opportunity costs, failure to acknowledge what else could have happened. You can't, you can't sort of disprove a counterfactual. So what kind of person would you have been if you had not been forced to do this? You know, Oh, for f- the first 10 years of my life, my dad whipped my hands. If I made a mistake on the violin, I'm really good at violin. Uh, and I- I'm glad I'm good at violin. Therefore, everyone should be forced to play violin at the threat of having their hands whipped. I mean, that's completely absurd. You could, you could say that about absolutely anything. Part of it is our tendency to normalize our experiences. Like, I mean, we want to like ourselves and be happy with our lives and that's good. And I think we should like, okay, you know, my nose looks the way it does. I can either choose to be depressed about it and hate the way I look, or I can choose to say, Hey, that's how I look. I like it. I'm going to work with it. Right. Or the skills I have or whatever. That's good, but it doesn't mean whatever led to that therefore must also be good and should be applied to everyone. Well, the reason my nose looks like this is because I used to get beat up all the time and it kept getting broken. Um, and, but now I like my nose and my nose has been a topic of conversation, Therefore, everyone should get beat up and get their nose broken because they might also end up with a nose that is a topic of conversation, right? You see the absurdity of it. So that is not an argument for forcing children to learn things that has any validity whatsoever if we're going to be logically consistent. Uh, So I I think that's about it. I think that's about it in terms of that education question. Okay, so there was one other thing that I wanted to comment on on this Unplanned episode, me, my mind, and you, the listeners, who are going to go uh, give a review on iTunes. Um, and that is how interesting it is, the way people approach me, now, you know, now that I've launched Praxis and I'm always talking about it, and I'm going and giving talks and writing and blah, 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 about uh, discoverpraxis.com, by the way, if you want to check it out, people get really excited about it, young people especially, I mean, people of all ages, but the way that they talk to me about their own education is so so interesting before i launched praxis people would talk to me the way would talk to anybody yeah i'm majoring in whatever and i'm studying this and you know they would sort of define themselves entirely by where they are on the conveyor belt Uh, you know, I'm, I'm this age, therefore I'm studying this. I have this major, you know, I'd be like, oh, so what are you interested in? What's your story? I'm majoring in this. Okay. Well, that's not what I asked, but, um, you know, they would talk to me just in a normal way, the way they would talk to anyone else, which is often kind of revealing of the sad state of our way of looking at humans as defined entirely by their external status on this conveyor belt, instead of who they are, what they're motivated by, what they're interested in. But now since launching Praxis, people talk to me a lot differently. It's really cool because people tend to get to the core of what they're interested in more. And when I say like, what's your story, they tend to sort of, if they've, if they've heard me speak or read a few things or whatever, they, they kind of know where I'm coming from and they're, and they're, they're like, okay, well, I don't want to just define myself by my major. Like, what am I really all about? And then it'll get much more interesting. So that's, that's the cool part. But here's a funny part. The number of young people who come up to me and basically unprompted apologize to me more or less for going to school, it's, it's really bizarre because never once have I said anywhere or nor would I say no one should go to college. College is bad. That's just as dumb as saying everyone should go to college. College is good. College is a tool like any other tool. The analogy I like to use is a pickup truck. No, no one needs to answer the question. Are pickup trucks good or bad for 20 year olds? Good investment. Let's look at aggregate data how much income do people, 20 year olds with pickup trucks make later in life? You know, what jobs do they get? That is the most absurd way to look at the world ever. No one would, would suggest that, but that's exactly how college is treated. You're either pro or anti. It's either a good investment or a bad investment for all people everywhere all the time based on some sort of aggregates or something. No, it's, it's a tool. Maybe a pickup truck is exactly what you need. Maybe it's worth $30,000 for you to go buy one maybe it's totally not worth it at all. And it would be a complete waste because you live in a city that doesn't even, you know, you can't even afford parking and you don't need to because you can walk everywhere or whatever, right? I mean, we all get how to analyze the pickup truck question. So college is the same. I've never once propagated any sort of message like, oh, college is just bad. Like, I don't know. It's all completely up to you and your unique situation. If you know for a fact the things that you want require college to get there and you know that you want that thing and you know, college is required, then it's probably a great investment for you, right? Like there's no, there's nothing about that. That's, that's, that's bad. But anyway, so despite this, People come up to me and they'll say, "Hey, man, I love what you're doing. It's so awesome. Praxis is great. I really love it." That's 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 all. That's the way to think. That's the way to approach things. And you know, the education system is just ridiculous. And I've hated it. And I'm depressed. And it's no fun. Um, but you know, I mean, for me, it totally makes sense because you know my parents are paying for it. Blah, 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 blah. And then they're like this huge list of justifications. This huge. It's like this huge sales job where young people <laughs> so common they try to sell me. On the fact that they're in college, like as if they assume I'm going to be like, get out of my presence. I don't want to speak with you because you're in college, (laughs) which, which I've never conveyed anything like that, but it's very clear. They're not actually trying to sell me. They're trying to convince themselves. They're giving this long line of reasons why, even though they hate college and they know that it's not valuable and it's not where they want to go, but because they only have one year left or because their parents are paying or because, you know, there's always like, but there's a reason why it's good for me. And here's where it gets kind of fun because if it actually is good for them, I hope they do it. If it actually is based on their own definition of what they value, if they know for a fact, if it's not just some fuzzy, I'm scared, I don't know anything, therefore I'll do college because it's the path of least resistance. If there's an actual reason, then I am absolutely going to say, keep it up. If you're like, Hey, I know for a fact, I have one singular passion and that's to be a doctor in a hospital and that legally requires a degree, I'm going to get it. I say go get it, you know? Whether or not we like the fact that it requires a degree, it does right now, go do it. That's that's awesome. So so my response, this is this is where I, I observe the really interesting thing. My response is always, hey, you know, when they when they come up and give me this long list of justifications that I didn't ask for, they say, hey yeah, good stuff. I'm going to college Here's 15 reasons why it's a good idea for me. Please don't judge me. It's sort of what I feel, what I feel like they're saying, but really they're trying to convince themselves that like, you know, even though their gut tells them this sucks that, but, but really I'm here for good reasons, right? Right self, you know, like, like me asking your mind, talking your mind. So they give me these reasons. And then I usually say something like, Hey man, or woman, that's awesome. If you know. That being in college is the thing that makes you come alive, and the thing that's gonna get you where you wanna go to, to a life that's fully you, that's exactly what you want, or at least something that you know you don't hate. If you're if it's making you come alive to be in college, stay. I love it. Awesome. And then they get a really depressed look on their face almost every time and change the subject or walk away. <laughs> And it's so sad to me because I mean it. I mean what I say. If you absolutely love it and you think it's worth the financial cost and the opportunity cost and it's a great fit for you and you can say with a clear conscience and you're not deceiving yourself and you're not just trying to please your parents or avoid avoid the stress that comes with being someone who does things your own way. If you're not just trying to go the path of least resistance, but instead you're, you're actually there because that's exactly where you want to be right now. And you can think of no better way to spend those four years and however much money then heck yeah, do it, stay, love it, get everything out of it. I've met a a very small number, but I've met people for whom that's absolutely true. Many of them become professors or want to be professors. And that's just like the perfect environment for them. They love it. And they think it's worth every penny. And for them, it is but when I say that, and I mean it, and the person looks depressed and sad and walks away, man, that makes me sad because you know they don't believe it themselves. You know, they, they're they not there because they love it. Okay, so that was just an observation. All right, one final thing, which is tied into this. Somebody asked me recently, hey, you know, my, my kid is homeschooled and... You know, she's, she's in high school and trying to decide if she should jump through all the hoops to get a high school diploma and all this stuff, or she should just take the GED test instead. And she's not really interested in college. Maybe she'll go. So I don't know. Does she need some sort of GED or diploma to go to college? But, um, you know, I just, I feel like it would be a good fallback to have. And that is such a common approach like, well, I know that this isn't valuable and it's not getting me where I want to go. I know I want to start a business. I hear this a lot. I know I want to be an entrepreneur and I know a degree isn't going to help me get there, but I better get it just to have, it'll just be good to have. It's a good fallback. And I mean, even people who go to college without any, anything that they love in particular, it's like, why are you going to college? Every young person says, because I have to, to get a job because I don't want to be poor. I want to make sure I'm employable. And I say, okay, what do you want to do? I don't know. No idea. Well, how do you know a degree is going to help you? Well, it just does, right? I mean, the absurdity, as, as Peter Thiel puts it, I'm paraphrasing here, of preparing, being totally prepared for nothing in particular. It's so crazy to me. It's this weird thing where plan B, everyone spends their entire life, 20 years preparing plan B or C, a plan that they hope they never have to implement at the expense of ever even thinking about or ever trying plan A. Well, I know I don't want to go just work in some corporation as an insurance salesman. I'm not, nothing against insurance salesman, but just something people might say, just working at a desk, doing some sort of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I know I don't enjoy college and I know it's not going to help me. What I want to do is really be an artist, blah, 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 but it will always be good to have this. So therefore I'm spending all my time and all my money for the first 20 plus years of my life focusing on the, but it will be good to have at the expense of building and going after what you really want. And there are several reasons why that's really sad and problematic to me. I mean, one is that the plan B isn't any kind of plan B. In the case of this GED or high school thing, it's like, well, what is that actually going to get you? If you don't want to go through all the hoops, if the hoops themselves are totally monotonous to you and you have no interest in them, my, my, my approach is always don't do stuff you hate, right? So if jumping through a bunch of hoops you hate, don't do it. The only time you would do stuff you hate is if you know for a fact it's going to get you to something that you love that you could not do otherwise. So those two criteria have to be in place in order to suffer something that you hate. Don't ever do something that you hate unless two criteria are true. One, that doing what you hate will get you to something that you love absolutely. And two, that there is no other way of doing things that you don't hate to get to that same end. Okay. So there are many things where doing something you hate will get you to that thing that you love, but there's also 5 million other ways to get to that thing you love. But there are many times where you don't even know where it's going to get you. And that's the case with most of these, these people approaching education this way. Okay. So you want to, you want to jump through the hoops that you hate, do a bunch of stuff you hate to get this GED or to get this degree so that it gets you what? Well, I don't know. So that it gets me this vague abstraction called options. Well, I'm sorry, but options and bullet points on a resume don't give you a paycheck. They don't give you a house and a yard. They don't give you social status and they certainly don't give you fulfillment. Now they might give you some social status, but if you never get a job with it, right? Um, And so this idea that like, oh, well, a degree or a diploma or a GED, it's a guarantee at least I'll have that to fall back on. And then like what your degree is just going to start spitting out money at you when you frame it and hang it out the wall. No, it doesn't guarantee you anything either. And the, the types of things that for which it increases the odds. So certain jobs that have a higher odds of getting hired, if you have a degree, or at least getting past the first wave of, of interviews, if you're totally uncreative and completely incapable of thinking of some other way of getting past that first wave, uh, which is almost always doable, at least for interesting jobs aka not government or bureaucracies. Okay. So maybe they will help you, uh, increase the odds of, of getting closer to getting some types of jobs, but they're typically the types of jobs that these people saying this don't even want. Anyway, they've stated, I know for a fact, I don't want X. And I also know that Y might slightly increase my chances of getting X. Therefore I'll focus all my energy attention on Y instead of just going after what I actually want or figuring out what I actually want, taking the time to figure it out, like until you know that you want something that requires a degree and and you hate the process. If you love the process of getting a degree, then it's a consumption good. And then you just have to assess if it's worth it compared to all the other consumption goods you could put together with that many years and that much time. Uh, I would argue even there, you could just move to a college town and live the college life and go to class without registering and paying. But anyway, if you hate it, and you haven't even figured out if it's going to yield you anything tangible, then stop this idea that options. Oh, it's, it's giving me options. What options are not real opportunities. Options are an abstraction, an aggregate of po- 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 possibilities of, of probabilities. It's a bunch of numbers. It's statistics. Opportunities are real, and your obsession with options is blinding you to opportunities, which is also the title of a, uh, an article I wrote. Um, didn't plan that, but go check it out. So I've always found this really weird that everyone who really doesn't like college, they seem to be doing it because they are building a plan B and they don't even want to do plan B or plan C just in case. And what they're doing might not even help them in a plan B or a plan C. They don't even know. They've never even stopped to think, would it actually get me some sort of guaranteed fallback? Would I even want that guaranteed fallback? Like maybe just going after my plan A, even if I completely fail, failure at plan A is usually better, more enjoyable, more fulfilling than mediocre success at plan B or C anyway. So it's a really bizarre mentality. Like, well, I guess I'll just do this thing that I hate just in case it might help me possibly get something that I haven't even yet defined or identified that might be better than I don't know. I don't know what, um, it's very indefinite. It's very sort of flabby. It's very, it's chasing after guarantees, not realizing one that anywhere there are guarantees is usually a place that you don't want to be. That's not very happy and fulfilling, but two, anywhere there are guarantees, they're usually not really guarantees anyway. There's no guarantee that you're going to get anything with a degree unless you go out and get it for yourself. Um, and again, If, if what you're going out to get for yourself requires a degree and you know, it does, and you know, it's worth it, do it. But if it's an open question, I have no idea what I love. Therefore I'll get a degree so that it can increase the odds that maybe I can do something that I have no idea if I love what, I mean, what does that even mean? It makes no sense. Go figure out what you love and then figure out of all the ways you could get it. What's the best. And if there's truly nothing that's better than a degree for getting it, then go get it. But there's no reason to do it otherwise. It's not a fallback. It's not a guarantee. And if it's something you don't love, it better have a damn high likelihood of producing something you love that cannot be gotten any other way. All right. My rant is complete. This was fun. Thanks, everybody. Go check out the podcast. You can look up. I write about all this kind of stuff on isaacmorehouse.com. Post a lot of them to Medium. Go check that out. Subscribe to my monthly uh, email newsletter if you want to. I send reviews of books and different things like that. Review the episode or review the uh, show on, on iTunes and share feedback with me anytime. IsaacMorehouse at gmail.com. Have a great day.